Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. Today I'm joined with a special guest, James Laws from WP Ninja. And James has an interesting background. He started out as a grocery store clerk to a vacuum salesman to a pastor, then to doing something similar to me in that developing a WordPress software product business and company around that. So James has had a a windy path in the same way that, as many of you know who have been listening to this podcast for a long time, my background's in outdoor leadership and running sled dogs and things of that nature. So we'll get into James's story in a little bit, but to give you guys a sneak peek of what's in this episode, uh, James's company, Ninja Forms, makes an incredible form product. There's so many things you can do with forms that people may not be aware of, especially inside of a membership site or learning environment. So we kind of want to open up your mind to some things you can do with that. Uh, we're going to get into topics of around building a certification course and why that might be of interest to you, not just making courses to make money. And then we're going to get into what it's like for people like James and myself to lead a, te- a technical team or be a part of a technical team and guide the vision as a non-technical co-founder where that's not our primary focus and, and how, we, uh, how we do that. And we're also going to get into creating content like podcasts, like the one you're listening to here. James and I are both podcasters and it's always good, not only just to create content, but also just as a form of expression and connecting with people to, you know, have something going on outside of your, your main business unit. So James, first, let me just thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. You, you gave a huge list of stuff we're going to be talking about like there is so much information that we're going to unpack here <laughs> yeah this one's going to be jam-packed but since you have a background as a pastor i know you have a lot of experience being on stage and talking so i know we're going to really uh <laughs> we're really going to get into it but let's actually just start there with a little bit of the personal story of you know in hindsight sometimes life makes sense and the dots kind of connect but as you take a circuitous or windy road through life and end up where you are today like how did what was the uh how did your journey end up how did it begin and how to end up where you are today like what's the what was the story of that character arc yeah i mean you know I, probably like a lot of entrepreneurs i i found myself doing lots of jobs so i never really truly content in any one position generally speaking i would learn all to learn at a job and i'd become discontent and frustrated and in fact, I'd become a bad employee because of that frustration and that, that, that kind of discontent. Uh, I think it probably presented itself in the work or in my just distance in looking in other things. So uh, I had got at an early age, I had gotten into ministry and somehow had found myself on the path of pastoring a church. And that's where I met my business partner. He actually came and attended a church, the service one Sunday. And over the course of a year, we became really close friends and started dabbling in starting a business. And we've done everything from application development, from access, you know, using Microsoft Access as kind of the the application framework we were working with to uh, just doing graphic design to doing flash websites. And the reason I even got into digital products in the first place was building websites for ministries. Um, So I, I had a pocket of ministries that I was working with and I wanted to make sure that they had a a relevant and, you know, 
I don't know, an accessible presence online. And so I started really learning how to build websites that way. So my background is mostly in HTML and CSS, and that's about as technical as I got. And then over the years, I've picked up through maybe through osmosis from being around developers, I've picked up quite a bit of knowledge around that. But that's kind of how I got started was, uh, was just, you know, meeting somebody who had some similar interests and in starting something starting to realize that actually pastoring and leading a church was not very different. In fact, not different at all to leading a business. Uh, and so thinking about the, the, the finances of a church and the team of a church and, and empowering and casting vision for your congregation, all that stuff transfers over to a business very easily. And so we started experimenting, doing freelance work, and then built a little plugin that just started to take off. And the business kind of I, I want to say, really, the business happened accidentally. We, we threw it out there. We thought there was an opportunity for Ninja Forms to become a product that people would like and use. But when it really just finally started to take off and we started to kind of have a hockey stick growth moment, we were like, oh, this is, this is the full-time thing. Like, this is what we need to focus all our energy on. So I want to say, uh, you know, we discovered it more than we created it. That's awesome. Having things kind of emerge organically like that is a really cool journey. Well, I want to dig into the pastor piece a little bit. <clears throat> I a hundred percent have a similar uh, experience where I would, I used to lead teams of people in remote regions of Alaska. I got into leading teams of sled dogs and got really into animal psychology, which funny enough can translate into human psychology. But most of my leadership stuff came from, you know, leading and managing people and running a company. Uh, and it, yeah, you can, it's portable. You can take it into another industry. I fi- I figured out. Um, but I really want to get into the pastor piece because a lot of people listening to this show are, uh, teachers either by trade and are tr- kind of getting into the, the technology part and trying to scale and do things like that with the internet, or they're, they're already online course creators, not necessarily traditional teachers, but what is something like if you are coaching a younger pastor on how to communicate, lead and teach, what are some big things that you could pass along into how to be an effective teacher? What's worked for you? Yeah. Um, so my teaching process as a pastor has evolved over the years. Like when I first started, I didn't like most people, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of learning from people around me, thought they were doing, working through the process. I read a lot of books. And so I used to go through a lot of the same process of really having these detailed notes and uh, really kind of thinking through it. And what I really came, what it really came down to is by the end of my time teaching as a pastor, it really comes down to stories. It comes down to one point. What is your one thing you want to drive home when you're communicating? If you, if you, it's kind of, kind of the old adage, right? When everything is important, nothing is important. And you ever see somebody on a website where they highlight everything and everything, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know what the important piece for me to take away from this website really is. And in, in speaking and in teaching, there's that same thing, right? If you have too much information and too many points that you're trying to drive home, all of a sudden, none of it feels important. So one of the first things I would, I would probably tell, a, a, you know, I mean, I guess one of the first things I would say is uh, practice, right? Like speak. <laughs> the more you do it, it's, it, it really is a numbers game. The more often you do it, the more comfortable you get at it and the better you get at it. 
but I would definitely say uh, hone your message down to a single point. Um, figure out what is the most important thing that you're trying to present in that moment. Uh, and so like when I think of things like courses or less, you know, courses or teaching at a church or even, even a podcast, right? What is the one thing you want to drive home in that moment? Um, you'll have time if you win their trust and you present good information, you will have time to give them another thing later. But right now, give them one thing that they can apply today. That's a really good, good thing. Well, I'm not going to ask you for another thing because that's the, that's the one thing right there. But um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the important <laughs> one. That's the one. That's the takeaway. That's a good one. Well, <clears throat> sometimes when we have a, like a vision for our, you know, our business or our course or like a learning environment that we're trying to create or a tribe, if you will, um, the vision or the leadership of the vision or the, the innovation, the driving force behind the vision is bigger than one person. I ended up in that spot. You ended up that spot. Um, you know, I know enough to be dangerous as a, as a technical person, but I'm not, it's not my strength. Just like design is not my strength. And so I know at Ninja Forms, you guys have a, uh, a, a, a nice size team and, and you do it a little counter to the software world with what's popular in that you actually have an office, which is really cool and awesome. <laughs> and uh, th that's killer. But going back to the leadership piece, how, how do you best, you know, work with a bunch of technical people? Well, so, you know, it's funny, uh, just a little, I think last year, we, uh, my business partner, who is, is my CTO, he's, my, he's the technical side of our business, we did a talk uh, called Entrepreneurs and Engineers Managing the Tension Between Opposites, because he sees things very differently than I see things. And so over the years, we have learned to deal with all of these things. And then as we've hired new developers and other team members that are not developers, and watching that tension between them as they buds and they're trying to figure this dynamic out, uh, I think Kevin and I kind of sat back and went, oh, we have some stuff we need to teach our team that we have learned over the years. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times with technical people, uh, my, one of my pieces of advice is in communicating is parrot back what they tell you. Try to, try to put it in terms that you understand and explain it back to them. And over time, this, has a couple of, this does a couple of things. One, it builds trust between you and the developer because they know you're listening and you're trying to understand their concept. It shows that you're giving them time to brag and talk about what they're working on because they're excited. They solved the problem. One of the worst things, we had this happen in our office once. One of the worst things you can do is a developer solves this problem and you show, they show it to you and they're like, and it does this and it does this and then we do this and then the background we're doing this and then you look at it from a non-technical perspective, maybe from a user interface perspective and you go, you know, it'd be better if we could do X. Ah, uh, you just, you know what I mean? You've just, you've just crushed their spirits. Like you've, you've deflated all, all that they've done. You've undervalued what they've accomplished. There, there's a time and a place and there's a way to communicate. So I always listen more than I talk. When I'm talking to developers, I try to soak as much up. You're going to learn from that. I mean, I feel like I can carry on a pretty good technical conversation with people because I listen to my developers a lot. And so, you know, if you start talking to me about deep down in the development of, you know, how you're handling this object or, you know, how you're extending this class and doing this, like, I can actually talk about that, not because I can write that class class and I can modify that object, but because I've, I've heard enough about it and I've talked through it with them. So listening is a big piece. 
uh, you know, and the thing is, is finding ways to challenge and excite your developers, your, your development team. So what I am very good at, I think one of my, my one of my skills in, in my business is I make my developers want to work on things. I give them challenges that the puzzle starts moving in their head and they start thinking, ooh, how would we solve that? What, what, that's, that's an exciting puzzle for me to solve because developers like to solve puzzles. That's, that's their gifting. So make everything a puzzle. Find a way to excite them uh, is, is a really important way. Uh, but I think those are two things, right? Those are probably two big takeaways. So I'm breaking my own rule right now of having one important thing. I'm giving you two important things, right? Uh, you know, listen, listen a lot. And then when you do need something from them, figure so, you know, find a way to, to gamify it a little bit, you know, turn it into a puzzle and, and get them excited about it. Uh, and they will, they will surprise you with amazing, amazing work. So they're, they're magicians. Developers are magicians. It's just, there's no other way just to put it. Yeah, that's, that's solid advice right there. Well, what about the other side of that equation? Like, um, you know, some of the people listening to this, they may not, they may be, um, which I myself have been guilty of in the past, being kind of stubborn and like, because I have a business partner, I have a technical CTO business partner, you do too. But like before that, I was by myself. And I mean, you can, sometimes you're doing yourself a disservice by not partnering up or just always trying to outsource overseas the technical parts and like minimizing the value of it or whatever. But how did it work out for you? Like, when did you realize like, uh, you know, like I'm really only half of the leadership of this equation or we need each other. Like where was that moment of humility or how did that come for you? Or did it always, were you just kind of aware of that from day one? So you didn't go through that. Yeah. I was gonna say, I think, I think I was aware of that from day one. Uh, and that's, and, and, and that's because our business relationship was first birthed out of our friendship. So we actually became really, really close best friends before we ever decided to do business together. And so that kind of helped frame uh, a mutual respect. I respect um, his mind. I respect it, how he thinks about things. And he, I, I, w- I would say I would put him toe-to-toe with any other developer, not necessarily because he knows every language, but because of the way he thinks programmatically. Uh, it's, it's, it's a... It, it's a sight to, to, to behold, like to just take it in. You're, I'm always mesmerized when he comes up with a solution. So some of it was we already had built up some of that mutual respect over time. Uh, and then we just drew really clean uh, lines as far as authority in, in our company and in our relationship. So we have a real simple process. Um, and, and I think it only works because we have trust. If you don't have trust with your partner, this doesn't work, but you, you first have to work on trust. And once you have trust in place, I leave all product decisions to him. He is the final word. What he says goes, and I will stand behind him 100% once he puts his foot down and says, this is the direction that we're headed. In all other areas of the business, that, that authority falls on me. I determine when we hire. I determine who gets paid what. I determine all the legalities and the running of the business. We're thinking about buying this building that I'm in right now. And he doesn't, he doesn't have any input at all. It's not that he doesn't have input. He doesn't care. He's like, if that's what you think we should do, do it. Like he's given, uh, he, he has given that authority and I have given him product authority. But it works is because I know when we're talking about product and I have an opinion and I strongly share my opinion, I know he weighs that heavier than any other thing that he's factoring. 
because he trusts my opinion in the, in the, in the user interface space and in the product space because we've worked together for so long. Uh, you know, when you're right frequently enough, your partner will go, James is usually right on this. So I'm going to weigh this very heavily and, and vice versa. So I think that does a lot to, has a lot to do with that. Yeah, that shows a lot of just maturity and, and the value of trust there. And, you know, for those of you listening, if you're working with a developer, a designer, um, sometimes you just got to trust them because if you're always trying to kind of heavy, heavy handedly lead, like, okay, I want to design a course cover image and I want my face over here. I want this mountain, these mountains over here. I want this giant font and my logo. You're already kind of shortcutting your project because you're not letting the designer lead with, you know, their strengths and stuff. And they're not your business partner. Maybe they're, you're just outsourcing a project. But I think that's a really important point you made about, you know, st- allowing leadership in others. It's very important. That, that's a struggle. And it's a struggle you're always going to have. I have it because in this business where I'm feeling it now is I've always been the one who's done all the design design work. I've been the one who has pretty good taste in colors and symmetry and how things fit together and designing. And I'm the one who has Photoshop on their computer and is and doing all that stuff. But we just recently hired a guy who does our design work now. And I'm relinquishing control of that. And we have different opinions on some of the things and how that looks. And so I, I try to gently guide him to what I think is just better but then I have to allow him to express himself and to be the designer that we hired him to be. So there's always that tension. I think you'll go through that in phases of business. You don't conquer it once and then never have to face that demon again. Like you're always conquering it as your business grows. Yeah. Well, on that note of like uh, growth and as the phases evolve, like you mentioned earlier that there was like a, you know, a hockey stick of growth period your Ninja Forms is, I think, in the top 30 free plugins on WordPress. You probably know the statistic. We are number 32. 32. <laughs> um, so you've grown tremendously, like grow, grown a lot. So what are some of the things with like, like if you're listening to this and your course really takes off, like if you really hit a nerve or a market need uh, or you figure out some way to solve some problem that a lot of people are really interested in, you know, what are some growing pain uh, situations that came up that you would, you know, if you could do it all over again or that you would advise the, someone who may about to enter that situation to think about? Yeah. I mean, when I hear, here's a big problem. I think a lot of businesses fall into. Um, we, we tend to in the early days because it's still new and it's still growing. And in some cases, maybe it's not your sole source of income. It's this, side thing that you're working on, hoping that someday it'll become your main source of income. And if you hockey stick, the biggest, um, the biggest mistake you can make really is not understanding the dynamics of your business, understanding the dynamics of the cost of your business. And so what I see a lot of done, and I've fallen into this myself, uh, is you have so much money in your bank account because everything is growing so fast and everything's happening so quickly. And you're like, oh, well, I can do this and I can do this and I can sponsor this event and I can do this and I can buy swag and I'm going to buy everyone on the team these really nice jackets that have our logo on the back and I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to do all this stuff. Uh, I'm going to travel to every single event because we're huge now. We're huge, right? And so you just get so excited and you start spending money because it's in the bank account, but your bank account is lying to you. 
your bank account is not what you actually have. Yet. You have not thought through all of the expenses. You haven't thought through that every business has a seasonal flow. And that's different depending on the business that you have. You know, if you're, if you're in the outdoor space, right, and you're mostly like fly fishing and, you know, river guide and stuff like that, right? The winter is a slow season, right? You're not doing anything. And if you're not planning and building up a reserve during your high season in the middle of the summer and the, you know, late spring and early fall, if you're not building up a reserve for that, then you're going to find yourself in the winter season going, where'd all the money go? Like we were making so much money and you may still be making the same, you know, it's just, it's just one of those situations where you may not have, your sales may not have declined. You may just be in that seasonal dip, but now you're feeling pressure. So how do some people make this mistake? They hire too soon. They are too many too soon and they don't really think through what the salary means over the long course. And it does, and it's not whether or not you can pay the salary today it's whether you can pay the salary in your lowest month. That's where, that's where you have to be looking at. Like when we budget our salaries, we have to think about what is our, our low month? Like where could we dip and are we still okay at that point? So you have to think through that. Uh, it's probably a good idea to think through uh, what percentage of revenue you think your, your expenses should fall under. And luckily in the envelope, you can get away with not a lot of overhead. Um, but, you know, we've taken out a building like, like you pointed out. Uh, and we have to equip it. And so we have desks and we have chairs and we have, you know, everything you would imagine that an office needs to have. And, you know, we're paying for internet for everybody. And then we have all the things that just are tied into having a building. And so you have to kind of keep those expenses in mind. You just can't keep adding expenses thinking we're doing so well, we can handle this other $500 a month fee. No big deal. Like, because eventually it catches up to you. And so you have to be really mindful of that. So I think one of the biggest mistakes really is just not understanding your cash flow um, and, and just being mindful of that as you go through and, and really being profit minded, right? Like uh, one of my favorite books is Profit for uh, by Mike Michalowicz. And he basically talks about how we think of finances as, and this is how you know, I've run my personal finances forever. Most people do, right? This is what I've earned. Then I subtract my expenses and what's left over is mine, right? That's what I can either save or spend or do whatever I want to. The problem is, is your expenses grow by excess. So the more cash you have, your expenses just seem to grow to match that expense level. As long as you have cash, you'll spend it. That's just the way it works. So you'll take on more expenses. The better way to think about it is to say, here's my profitability percentage that I'm aiming for. So when my money comes in, I'm going to take that percentage out first. I'm going to take my profit, my, my taxes, whatever it is that I need that's an absolute I want. I'm going to pull that out. And I'm going to run my business on what's left. And that's my metric for whether or not can we afford to pay somebody, take somebody else on payroll, or can we take on this new expense? So that's good stuff. Well, let's, let's shift gears and just talk and talk about another uh, thing that I think we, we both enjoy, which is podcasting. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of online course creators or teachers are really focused on creating the lesson content or the quizzes and, you know, collecting assignments and all these things. Um, <clears throat> but in order to grow your platform, like if you want to head towards or give yourself the best odds of, of potentially getting some hockey stick, you, ne- you need to make it easy to be found. And if everything's locked down mm-hmm. behind a course or membership and you can't uh, necessarily get to it easily, it's your site's not going to be well indexed. You know, if you don't have a blog, you're, you're, you know, you need to have some free media out there. Um, 
that's that's the content marketing game but it's also in, in my from my experience it's an incredible amount of fun i enjoy it uh it's a great way to like get smarter and network with great people but also most importantly like represent your user base so that whole thing we were talking about one of the areas that you know i'm trusted as a non-technical co-founder is I'm really in sync with like the experience and what our users are looking for and the problems they have. That's what's guiding the questions I'm asking you in this podcast episode. Uh, so as, and when I do that and then somebody listens to this and they hear about James and Ninja forms and you know, how to approach scaling and you know, how to work with uh, more technical people and stuff, it's, it's adding a lot of value for free. That's just, it just goes with the, the brand and also just the, content and stuff but uh and, and i just want to say for me getting into podcasting I, I used to start with just a pair of earbuds i don't have the phone blocks on the wall like james does right now. <laughs> maybe one day I'll, I'll get to that and i noticed that they're red and black james was mentioning uh how he was the design guy so of course they're in brand alignment <laughs> with ninja forms it's uh, true but, it, but anyways like starting a podcast i mean it's a little technical but it's not that crazy I, I personally don't have a problem of doing at least one a week and keeping the momentum. But all of, I guess my main point before I turn it over to you, James, is that I think podcasting is a great way to develop content, but also just to represent your user base and uh, get out there in the world and build some relationships. And, uh, you know, I send, I have a whole system where all I have to do after this is I, up, upload this into Dropbox and all the other pieces my team takes care of. And, you know, there's a service like rev.com out there that transcribes it and, you know, that gets published with it, which creates a bunch of uh, text content that the search engines can index and so on. But it's, you know, beyond just using it as a form of content marketing, I just get so much out of it and enjoy it so much. But what's, what's your podcast journey like? Yeah, about a year ago, um, we I was doing these mastermind calls with Jean Galea from WP Mayor. Uh, it's a, basically a WordPress news website, tips, tricks, and you know things that are going on. And we started just kind of having our own little mastermind, just talking shop. Him, uh, you know, he's in Barcelona now, but at the time he was in Malta, and we would have these you know these conversations. And we both had it on our list of uh, bucket list items for the year to start a podcast, either to join a podcast with someone else or start our own. And so we just said, you know, we're having these conversations. Uh, it's good. We're having really good information and stuff like that. What if we just opened it up and just let people listen in? And so that's kind of how mastermind.fm started as a podcast. Through that year, all last year, I fell in love with the idea of podcasting because I'm a terrible writer. Um, I mean, I can write, I can do it, but I, I overthink it. I spend too much time trying to craft my words and say it just right that it ends up in this like really huge content piece that nobody would want to read. And by the end of it, I don't even care about my point. Like I just, I'm terrible at it. But I spent years as a public speaker. So getting up in front of an audience with, you know, without any notes, having just a concept or an idea that I wanted to unpack for a group of people came actually very naturally for me. And so what I realized over the course of the year, that's exactly what podcasting can be for me. Like I have, it gives me a, a outlet to share what's on my mind and hopefully provide some information for people. So like this year is a year of podcasting for me. So we, you, you know, you, talk, you mentioned the red and black on the walls and I don't do, as, as 
anyone in my office will tell you, I don't know how to do anything halfway. So when we decided we were going to start our own podcast in office, uh, I went and I bought all this foam and I glued it up on the walls and I bought a mixer and an audio interface and these really expensive microphones. And I just went all out because I just, I go all in and you don't need to do any of that. You can do podcasting so cheaply if you want to, and it can still sound great. But I, to me, it's all about the, the, I don't know, I, the obsession of, of, of getting the best stuff that I could possibly get. But there are probably people who can sound just as good as our show um, with, with much less. But th- that being said, uh, I, I got into it because I think from what you're saying, right, I got into it because it's fun. But I want to say something to, to what you said about the idea of it's a great content, put some free content out there. It's a way for you to uh, be a voice for your customers or your market or your tribe, right? And there's another level that I think is really super important. And I would ask anybody who has an online course, I would ask you this question, why should I sign up for your course? Is it because you promised to teach me something? Or is it because you have proven yourself as an expert and why would I not spend money on your course? So look at the content that you write in the podcast as you want, you know, the podcast and the content that you write as a way of building your reputation and your trust so that people listen to you and go, oh yeah, this, this woman, this, this man, they know what they're talking about. I, I will, yes, take my money and teach me this topic because I can't, I'm not going to learn it from anyone better. So you build a rapport and, and let's be honest, I, I read a lot of blogs. I know you probably read a lot of blog posts. But when you listen to somebody on a podcast, you feel like you know them, even though you may have never have met them face to face. I go to I'll go to a conference. And I matter of fact, just uh, last year, we were at Pressnomics and we were at the uh, the first night, the kind of the kickoff party. And I'm standing in one of the, you know, outside in this like just area. And there's all these people around and I hear from behind me. Hey, is that the James Laws of Mastermind.fm? And I'm like, what? Is that a thing? The James Laws of Mastermind.fm? And I, it was a couple. And so we had a good conversation and they talked about that they were listeners of the show and asked me some questions. And it almost immediately created a relationship. Like we knew each other, even though I'd never met them, but they've heard my voice for, you know, 20, 30 episodes. And, you know, they, from that, they felt like they had this comfort level of talking to me. So it was, it, it, it can do a lot for your reputation. And, it, and I think it validates whatever it is you're trying to sell. Absolutely. And another thing that just came to mind as you were talking is, is just as a teacher or somebody who's presenting on something, there's no way to get better than to just, you know, to teach on screen than to like do like video podcasts. It's only yeah. going to make you a better communicator and, and uh, presenter. Absolutely. Well, shifting gears, uh, one of the things you mentioned before we got on this call was you were looking at to potentially creating a training program around your product that, that involves some certification. And I think this is really cool because I love looking at uh, you know, different ways to use online courses. Online courses can be the main business. It can be the main product. It can be internal. You can use them for internal training, like for your business where they're not for sale. They're not open to the public. You're just curating the best training for your team. Uh, you, you, there's just so many different ways you can, you can use them. But can you tell us about your use case of what you're considering creating a, 
training and certification for. Yeah. So full disclosure, right? I am not yet currently <laughs> a customer of Lifted LMS, um, but I was looking over the website and, and reading and I'm like, oh, this has a lot of stuff that we want to do. This is, this is the solution for what I've been thinking. So I have in my head, I have this idea and it wasn't originally my idea. It was one of my developer's ideas. But like everything, I take what is an idea and I blow it up into something much, much bigger than it started off to be. So here's the problem. This is the challenge that we face as a company. Um, we know that Ninja Forms is the most powerful and flexible and extensible form builder in the space. We know this, hands down. The problem is communicating that, teaching that, or getting other people uh, you know, up to speed so that they can also develop on Ninja Forms easily for clients. And so what happens is we get a lot of support requests where people have these really crazy things. And I'm sure you see this with Lifter LMS. Um, it's full featured as Lifter LMS is. I'm sure you still occasionally get people who are doing stuff and you're like, wow, I, that is a, such a unique and specific use case. It would be hard for us to build that into a general product that everybody use. We get that all the time with Ninja Forms and we don't have the bandwidth to sick a developer on it and say, hey, build this for this support person who may or may not have paid us any money up to this point. So a lot of times we want to refer them to a developer, but we only have a few developers who build add-ons that we sell in our marketplace who we would trust to say, yes, we will put you in their hands and we know even though it's there, you, we connected you. Uh, and we may not hear about the conversation that happens afterwards, we know you'll be in good hands because we explicitly trust this particular individual. So we had this idea. What if we built a course that is, uh, teaches them the fundamentals? Because there, there are some just basic fundamentals of building on Ninja Forms. And it's, you know, it can be broken down into some really basic parts and lessons that would be really easy to go through with code examples, with katas that they can work through uh, and, and communication and back and forth with our team to help them as they progress through this process. The goal being, and this is what I'm looking at your site, and I saw something about, on your site about certification, uh, gamification. I saw stuff on your site about all, all these like, different pieces that you could, as far as features that you can do with Lifter LMS. And I started to think about, about that myself. And I was like, yeah, that's, and then and even the, the accepting payments, right? <laughs> you know, to, to purchase access to the course. So what I think I wanted, so here's my use case. I want to create a fully functional um, and in-depth course of becoming a certified Ninja Forms developer. We get the Ninja Forms stamp of approval. Yes, we recommend this person. It will be a course, it will be a fee, it won't be an expensive fee because in my opinion, people who invest in learning see it through to the end and people who do not invest in learning give up very early. Uh, and so uh, that's just, it's just the way it is. I'm, I'm the same way. We're all the same way. This is just the way we're wired. I spent, uh, my company spent $1,300 to get, let me do this kind of online learning for uh, PHP, MySQL databases. I made it through halfway and then I felt like, nah, I got what I wanted out of it. I learned enough. I don't need to keep going because I didn't pay for it. Had that been my $1,300 on the line, I would have seen that course through all the way to the end. Uh, so, you know, I'm talking about a nominal fee, uh, you know, under $100, much less than $100, right? Just to kind of get in and just to put a little bit of uh, green behind your 
um, motivation to become a certified Ninja Pro developer. But then there's all kinds of bonuses for that, right? You can put them on your website and show them and ways to contact them easily. These are the people we recommend to build anything on Ninja Forms. Um, they, they, you know, they move up the list for recommendations from us and our support team. Um, they get, you know, if they build add-ons, they get pushed to the front of the line and they get, you know, I mean, there's all these different ways that we can do that. And then I was thinking, you know, from a form standpoint, wouldn't it be great to simplify this? We have a PDF forum submissions, um, add-on for Ninja forms where at the end of the course, they click submit on this, on a Ninja form and we email an actual certificate with their name on it and the course that they completed and they get that and that's their, they can print that and have like a certification like see and hold and see something like that. So just little things like that, nuances that can, uh, I think, build a community of people around a product. So that's, that's kind of our use case. That is a really awesome one. And that is why James is, is doing well as an entrepreneur because I know one of the uh, like emerging trends in e-learning uh, and learning management systems right now is kind of uh, unique certification situations that are not necessarily something you're going to find at community college or university, but have like this very specific use case. Like, yeah. And uh, you don't necessarily, I think, Part of that is just a mental thing for people where, um, you know, your certification means something when it means something. It doesn't have to come from like some government agency or something like that. And for your case, I'm always listening for the business problem is you're helping people get jobs and you're yeah. help, which is a great problem to solve. And, uh, you know, you're just serving the person who uses your software and everybody wins. Like they're going to be able to deliver, you know, great form projects. And uh, you, you know, they're, they're, you, you're building the Ninja Forms community and, and that person has really sharpened their saw and become well-rounded and, and you've speed it, sped up the learning curve as opposed to everybody just kind of figuring it out on their own or whatever. So certification is a huge, huge thing. And I, I mean, it can go into all kinds of niches. Like <clears throat> you could create some kind of like babysitting safety training course and then, you know, these a babysitter could... You could train them on all these like 10 things that, you know, babysitters should know to be safe and secure or whatever. And then, uh, you know, two babysitters are applying for the job. One of them's like, oh, I'm certified with this. Check out their website. I mean, it's cool. Certifications are a big, big deal. That's really cool. But it comes back to that building trust, right? If you build up as you are the organization to trust for this issue, then your certification matters. Right, because you've 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 proven that. You, so a ninja form certification in any other space, probably meaningless, right? It's it's a ninja. <laughs> what? It's some plugin. I'm certified for some plugin. Who cares, <laughs> right? But to people who need ninja forms help, a ninja form certification from the creators of the product themselves is huge reputation boost. And all of a sudden, that comes with a lot of clout and a lot of of uh, trust built into it. And so, like you're talking about that baby uh, babysitting certification, if you build a brand that becomes known and, and you can show that social proof of people who, who have been, who are valid or validate your name, you build that up. Then all of a sudden your certification, it means something Like people go to that and go, okay, I can trust this. Like this is something I can, I can believe in. Yeah, that's, that's really good stuff. Well, I wanted to get into and unpack Ninja forms a little bit and what people can do with that in a learning environment or a membership site. And you mentioned, um, PDF form submissions, which is really cool. Right. I want to get into that. And I do also want to agree with you too, that that is a great thing 
that I see some people doing is they're, you know, Lifter LMS, for example, has an automated certificate generation digital system okay. and print a PDF and all that. Uh, but I see some people like, you know, going and getting the fancy paper at the, the print shop. And like, you know, even though the whole course happened online, they're mailing this thing that can go in the wall. It can get framed or whatever. And that's really cool. It's important to, to remember that stuff. I love it. But uh, coming back to forms, um, you know, a lot of people think when you get to forms, it's just about like contact forms and hiding an email address or whatever. But there's there's so much you can do. So let me let me just lay a little bit of groundwork of some of the things that that uh, that I've seen. And you're by far the form expert here and, and can build on what I'm talking about here. But a lot of what happens in a learning management system is there's interaction between student, student and teachers. So you can have contact forms. Um, you could have a lesson that requires somebody to buy something. So you could have a, a little isolated e-commerce event happen. You know, like if I was taking a, uh, you know, like a course about how to, how to hike the Appalachian Trail. And on lesson five, it's like, okay, go buy this pair of hiking boots and this is the exact way to, you know, get them the right size so you don't get blisters. You know, you could actually have like, a, a, you know, a form there. Um, uploads is a huge one. If I'm doing some kind of health and fitness, uh, you know, workout training thing and you have to upload a, a video or a photograph of you doing the thing, you know, you can, you can send that. You can do all kinds of like short answer, you know, paragraph text, essays, essay type stuff. Uh, I mean, it, it really goes on and on. You can make forms beautiful and easy and not overwhelming, like some giant form you can break up into multi-steps. Um, what do you guys call it? Multi-part forms. Mm -hmm. um, you can integrate with other stuff, like uh, there's a service called Zapier. So if you want something to happen on a form, and then have it blast out to some other application somewhere. Uh, you can do that. You've got this one I'm, I'm looking at. If you go to ninjaforms.com uh, forward slash extensions, you can see all these things that uh, Ninja Forms can integrate with. I like this Excel report where uh, Ninja Forms submissions go to an Excel file. Um, <laughs> so you've got this stuff where it can c connect with uh, SMS. Uh, through ClickSend or Twilio. Uh, I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. But like, what? Are, let's let's just lay out some user stories or use cases of what people can do with forms that they may not be aware of. Yeah, I mean, you know, here forms is one of these things, and I and I, it's one of the it's one of these dangerous things, right? Because you really can do anything if you put your mind to it. Like there's, it, it really is limitless. Now, not everything can be done within the user interface and some things may need modification with code. Like I got a request the other day that was really kind of bizarre, but he, he in his, you know, like he in his head, he had a use case for this. And so in his mind, this is what he wanted, right? When somebody submits the form, he wanted it to alternate sending an email to two different admins or teachers or leaders. So what would end up happening is you submit a form, it would go to this person, the next person to submit the form would go to this person and then back again, switch back so and forth. A round robin. A really kind of, yeah. And that's, yeah. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a weird use case. It's not something that's built into the UI explicitly because it is such a kind of a weird edge case to want to do that. But I guess if you're trying to throttle how many requests each person is having to deal with. So maybe you have two people on a support team or two, maybe you have two teachers that are working on a course and you don't want to be able to, you don't want to have to 
have one person get bogged down by every single request. So you, you round robin it, so to speak. And so you have different teachers. That's kind of an automated process. That was kind of a weird request, but those are the types of things that people kind of think of when they're, when they're building things out. Uh, people use calculations to do some really crazy stuff. Uh, so, you know, you may do something and I know you, I know any, right. Any courseware worth it's, uh, worth anything, right? He's going to have quizzes and, and some sort of a way to build that. But you can, you can also kind of build onto that with a form because forms, you know, like Ninja Forms has a huge calculation system that you can ask questions and give those things, those answers, values, add that all up and deter and send different responses or create different certificates or send it to a teacher if it's below a certain level because they need some help <laughs> or not send it to the teacher or, or, you know, schedule something to get shot out on social media just to congratulate them and praise them because at the end their score was a certain point. Like there's that, that kind of social reinforce what they're going through and they kind of see their name up there and they're like, oh, holy cow, like they, they mentioned me. And you automated the whole thing. You didn't do any of it, but, but they feel like it was that personal touch, like I'm engaged with this community and they are, they are congratulating me and, and this stuff is, is all, you know, you know kind of all automated. Uh, another things uh, you know we have is you may want to send data like webhooks. We have this is a little more technical. Um, so you know if you're not a technical person, this may not be right up your alley. But if you have a server where you want to get data from that submission and do something with it um, that's separated just from the the manage the learning management system or separate from the site where that's all happening, you want to pull that data over. Uh, for some other reason, hooking it to another service, a CRM or anything like that, you have that ability to get that data. Um, I think, you know, getting people through a certain process of, you know, I've gone through these lessons and at the end, you're going to subscribe them to a mailing list that'll put them into a drip campaign of other information uh, to get them into maybe sell them other courses and stuff like that. Being able to even send that information, I've completed this course, therefore they are probably a likely candidate for other course that we have. And so we want to push them in that direction. I mean, it's really, it's, it really is endless to the number of things you can do. I really love the, the purpose of, of student teacher engagement, right? Like, so you get to the end of a, you, you mentioned this uh, briefly already, but the idea of getting to the end of a lesson, and even if it's just a simple paragraph question, like ask this question and it gets sent right to a teacher who can then reply to that email and say, you know, great job. Yes. You've got a good understanding of this concept, you know, this idea, even what we talked back to, we're talking to developers, uh, parroting back in terms that they understand. And, you know, I'll, we know this in, in teaching, but yeah, this is a great statement that uh, I've heard quote, I can't remember where I heard it from, but they talk about thoughts untangle themselves through the lips and the fingertips. Basically, if you can't explain it verbally or you, you can't explain it by writing it down, then you don't understand the concept. You, you don't understand it yet. And so one way of reinforcing a course is at the end is ask the them to parrot it back in their own words. How well do you understand this? Explain this process to me. And being able to actually get that feedback immediately to a teacher, uh, Zapier, being able to push it into another system, being able to put it into a spreadsheet for later review, all of those different things that you can do with it. Um, scheduling is a big one. So for mastermind.fm, we get guest hosts on mastermind.fm. I send them a link to Calendly, um, which most people are familiar with, but it lets you kind of say, here's my schedule pick a time slot and submit. It asks them some questions. Well, for mastermind.fm, when they submit that form, uh, when they submit Calendly, uh, I get some information back to my site. Then I can interact with a form to, to push that further. But it also, using services like Zapier, I take that information and I create a 
Google document with their notes in it. I create a calendar that invites them and my co-host. I send that information to Trello for a card where we manage certain projects. I post it in Slack as a notification so that everybody knows that we have this person coming in. And because I work mostly in Basecamp, I put all that information in Basecamp as well. Uh, like, so this whole process is automated through uh, just from the triggering of sending one form. So there's a number of ways that you can automate your life and make things really powerful. So those are just, some, uh, just a few things that I, I've seen done or I've done myself. That's awesome. I've also seen a lot of people, uh, one of the things we notice that's really emerging in our community and people who are really trying to, you know, push the, the boundaries in online education and really fight that problem that you mentioned about, uh, I think Udemy released a st- statistic that uh, of the people who uh, enroll in their courses, 10% actually finish them. So that's like from day one, we've wanted to build software that, uh, you know, goes after that engagement issue and helps, helps people complete things. So one of the ways to help people complete things is to actually have a feedback loop. Um, So if you're doing a, like a a survey, it doesn't have to be giant. It could be a survey at the end of the course or the end of each lesson or section. Um, You could do like you said, where you could ask the student to state back what they learned and, or you could uh, just have more of a multiple choice or, you know, on a scale of one to 10 or a f- open area, how could I improve this lesson? What was great? What worked for you? What didn't? But you can't really improve that thing uh, as efficiently as possible without involving a, some kind of feedback loop from your user base. So forms are perfect for that too. And I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to steal your quote there. I just want to make sure <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> Thoughts untangle themselves through the lips and the fingertips, right? Yeah. That's correct. It's not mine, but you can give me credit for it if you, if you want. <laughs> okay. um, but it's true. It's true. And, and, and about that feedback loop, like, you know, we use that even for our, our, so our documentation for Ninja Forms is built just with a custom post type plug and thing that I put together. But we use a, there's a form at the bottom of every, uh, every document that asks, was this helpful? And is there anything you'd like us to improve on it? It doesn't ask for, you know, at this point, it doesn't ask for an email. At this point, it doesn't ask for any other information. It's, it's wide open. Just tell us whatever you want to tell us. But on our main page, viewed only by our admins, we get a list of every, a link to every document and every suggestion for that document so we can go back through and act on those things. Getting feedback for your course is huge. Like that's a super powerful reason to use a, a, a form on a regular basis and get them to engage with you and then let them see that that feedback is actually being implemented and used in different ways. So I think that's, that's also a super important point. Fantastic. Well, James, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I want to encourage everybody to head on over to ninjaforms.com and check it out. See, see, uh, go on over to the extensions page and see all the different things that you can do with a, a Ninja form. And, and thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. I know you've got a podcast at mastermind.fm and also at adventuresinbusinessing.fm. So, uh, you know, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Is there anywhere else you'd like people to check out um, if they want to follow you or see what you're up to? Absolutely. Well, sure. You can, you can find me on Twitter, James Laws. Um, and if that adventures in businessing is hard to remember, just hit aib.fm. Uh, and you can also get to it there. Uh, so, yeah. Nice. Well, thank you for coming on the show, James. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun.